Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. So, this has been a series on the Holy Spirit that surprised me. I actually thought, you know, we're going to go into this and it's going to be informational and try to help, you know, dispel some of the myths and stuff like that. I guess I wasn't ready to think that the Holy Spirit actually would show up. But I have heard story after story. God has been doing things in my life and in this place. Guys, He's here. And the Spirit is moving and working. And I just, today, being the close, I just wanted to kind of wrap up with some of your questions. The questions that seem to come the most. Okay? Now, I told Dave Loveless, and Dave is not here today, but he was up last week. I told him the reason I need to come last is clean up the mess he made. So let's let him believe that, okay? Just let him believe it. But I, the questions have been so interesting to me and enlightening. I know we probably didn't get every one of them, but I think we got a bunch of them. And I want to start with one of the ones that came up a lot. What about the gift of tongues? Speaking in tongues. Is it a sign that I have the Holy Spirit? And the quick answer to that is no. It is a sign you have the gift of tongues. That is not a gift that is given to everybody. Now, people say, well, but I thought everybody did. No, hang on. There are nine places in the New Testament where somebody filled with the Spirit did not evidence it by speaking in tongues. There are places where they did, like Acts chapter 2. But that's a different gift. That's a known language. You go over to 1 Corinthians to a church in Corinth, and they were having all kinds of issues with it. In fact, let me just show you a little comparison right quick. may help you to understand. In Acts 2, the tongues were known, and it was for the spread of the gospel. But in 1 Corinthians, it was a worship language, which I believe it is today. In Acts 2, everyone spoke in tongues. But in 1 Corinthians, it's real clear. It was only those who had the gift they were speaking in tongues. In Acts, everyone understood. First Corinthians, no one understood. Read First Corinthians 14. Paul is trying to straighten it all out, and that's what he teaches. Spoke to people. In Acts 2, they were communicating to people. In First Corinthians, they were speaking to God. In Acts 2, it was perfect harmony. In Corinthians, complete confusion. And so let me just say this. I do believe the gift of tongues is still... Operating, I do believe it is still given by the Holy Spirit to those that he wants to have the gift of tongues. I believe it is primarily a worship and a prayer language. I do not have the gift of tongues, but I have close, close friends who have the gift of tongues. And I love praying with them. I love worshiping with them because I can hear them as they use that gift to worship the Lord. So, if you don't have the gift, it's okay. It's okay. If you have the gift, honor the Lord. And one of the number one things we know from Scripture 
we don't use the gift of tongues in a public setting where there might be a lost person or an unsaved person. The reason is because they would not understand. Even if the gift of interpretation were present, there would still be a misunderstanding and confusion. So Paul said, not in the presence of unbelievers. So we want to encourage you to honor him, but do it in a very appropriate way. And David said it right last week. Man, we'd love for you. I've had people come down and they'll be, they'll be speaking in a tongue and, and, and I'll just say, hey, man, we love that. and We appreciate the fact that you have that gift. But what we want to do is we have some places that are prayer rooms. and We'd love for you to go and just spend time before the Lord using that gift, knowing that we had people in this room who did not understand, could not understand what was happening. The second thing. A lot of questions around the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of them. Last week, David Lovelace talked about the gifts and did a great job. He focused primarily in Ephesians. Okay? You know there are lists mentioned not only in Ephesians. They're mentioned in Romans. They're mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And what's interesting is every time gifts are listed, even by the same writer, Paul, they're not ever all the same gifts. In other words, he uses different ones. I'm not even sure we have the whole list of gifts in the New Testament. I think there are other spiritual gifts that maybe are not even in the, our scriptures. But here's what I do believe. This, this is very important. When you became a Christian, when you invited Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit walks in. He is the presence of Jesus in you. And he gave you a gift. A spiritual gift, not a talent. You had a talent before you became a Christian, but you didn't have a spiritual gift before you became a follower of Christ. I don't believe spiritual gifts exist in a non-believing community. They exist in the believing community, and here's why you have that gift, to benefit the body of Christ. To benefit the body of Christ. So here's my conclusion. The Holy Spirit gave you what you should have. And if you're not sure what that spiritual gift is, it's okay. Don't worry about it. What I would tell you is, what do you want to do? What's your passion? What are you good at? After all, he's the one who created us. He's the one who knows what we can do and what we can't do and how well we can do things and some we can't. And so follow that and go serve somewhere. The best way to know your spiritual gift is to try different things. In other words, a lot of people think they have the gift of worship, leading worship. And the only problem is they can't. And they, they don't sing real well, at least at a level where others want to sing with them. Most of them want to leave the room when they're, I'm talking about me. But I love worshiping as much as anybody in this church, but I don't have the gift that some of these guys have. I don't have the spiritual gift of discernment. But you know what? I have people around me that have it. Which brings me to this. If you are not plugged into a church, there's a church missing something they desperately need. Because God arranged the body where every area of ministry was covered. How? By different gifts. By people who are unique and the diversity of those gifts make the church work. 
And so if you're not plugged into a church, I'm telling you, there's a church that's going, man, we need somebody that can do this and has a gift, and you may be the one they need. When Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 12, he describes the human body. And he says, okay, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I mean, can you imagine if you are a Christian and you're not plugged into the body of Christ anywhere? That's like finding a hand on the side of the road. What good is that hand? When it's not connected to a body, you need to be connected to a body. And let me just recommend one. We would love to have you. We would love to have you. We need you. And whatever gift that is. Now, I'm going to tell you, last week when Dave was preaching, he made a really big point of this. And I, I was streaming it. And I'm like, yes, thank you so much. Can I, I hate to confess this, but I need to tell you something. When I started out, Many, many years ago, the second church I pastored was a fairly large church, and we had built a new worship center, and the personnel committee was meeting with me. We needed two, two positions filled, two pastors. And they go, Pastor David, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. Pastor David, what type of staff members are you looking for? And you know what I said? You need to go get two of them that are just like me. And that way I know we'll get along and we'll understand one another. Just go get two like me. And they did it. (laughs) And it was a train wreck. Do you realize that's not his plan? I was so clueless. And I was already in seminary. But somehow I just hadn't encountered the realization and revelation that God gives us all different gifts so that when we work together, the body is complete. We need you, whatever that gift is. And it's okay if the person sitting next to you doesn't have that gift. It's okay if they look at you and think you're crazy. You just go ahead and think they're crazy, and that way you both get along fine. In other words, we need each other. I know that much about the spiritual gifts. And I really believe that God taught me a lesson. There's no unnecessary member of the church. Now, I want you to hear, I want you to hear me. Even on the stream, you matter. You're not unnecessary. You have a gift, and that gift is needed. I used to put, <laughs> I used to love to change radios out in whatever vehicle I drove. So whatever truck I had, I was always getting a better radio. My wife would say, what's wrong with this one? It's not loud enough. I don't hear the bass. I need a little equalizer back in the day, you know, where they would come with a little. E- I, I, I need a bigger one. And I was cut holes in my trucks and put bigger speakers. I was always doing that. And I got pretty good at it. And then one particular truck, I had a deacon's meeting at 7 o'clock that night. Wasn't here. It hasn't been recently. I've learned my lesson, trust me. I was putting this radio in. Man, I was so pumped. And I was in a hurry because I had a Diggins meeting at 7. And as I'm getting the radio in, all of a sudden I realize, oh gosh, I got one wire from the truck. And I don't know where it, something's not matching up. So my thought was, man, I just doesn't need that wire. I don't need it. Just, so I just taped it up. Put the radio in. The radio worked great. I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. <laughs> I promise you this happened. I get in my truck. It's night. Seven o'clock, I'm getting to a deacon's meeting. Start the truck up. I can't get the lights to come on. I can't get the headlights to come on. I'm like, what? I don't have any headlights. 
And I don't know why I did it, but I thought, well, I'm going to see if I've got a dome light in here. So I opened the door and the headlights came on. So let me tell you <laughs> what I learned. What I learned is there's no such thing as an unnecessary wire. Okay? There's no such thing as an unnecessary member. You have a gift, and we need it. Now, the third area where a lot of you ask questions is prayer. You said, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? By the way, that term only occurs three times in the New Testament, so it's not a, it's not a real biggie, but three times that, that it's mentioned. Praying in the Spirit. I, I want to make it as simple as I know how. Praying in the Spirit is when you pray and you mean it. When you sincerely pray. In fact, the way I would say it is, <laughs> when you pray, you may not realize it, but the Holy Spirit is helping you. It's one of the most beautiful things that happens when we're praying. The Holy Spirit is involved. So the only time you're not praying in the Spirit is when you're asking something for you. And James says, hey, you pray and you don't get what you pray for. Why? Because you're asking amiss. You're asking selfishly. But what it means to pray in the Spirit is when you say, Spirit, I will, I will surrender everything. I want your will done, not my will. In fact, I've read people who actually believe no human can pray even without the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that comes in our life and makes Jesus real and connects us with Him. In fact, let me show you. Have you ever had one of those moments when you weren't sure what to pray? You were so overwhelmed. Let me just tell you what the Holy Spirit did for you during that time. This is the text. It's out of Romans. It's one of my favorite texts. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is what it says. 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What was the number one thing Jesus said the Spirit would do? He would help us. He's called a helper. That's the word that's translated for Holy Spirit when Jesus teaches on it. He will help us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with, uh, for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I love that verse, and here's why. Let me show it to you. What the Spirit is doing for you when you're praying is he's helping you. How is he helping you? There are things you don't know for sure how to say or what to ask for. So the Holy Spirit will intercede. He himself will intercede for you with groanings too deep for words. Now, a lot of people get hung up on groanings too deep for words. The question is, so does that mean that the Spirit has groaning? Groanings too deep for words? Or is that when I'm having groanings and I don't know how to put them into words? The answer is yes. It's both. There are days when I don't know what to say. But I just bow my head and say, Holy Spirit, you know. And I promise you the Holy Spirit will make it all known to him. 
He will intercede for you. And there are times when you're praying, and I think the Holy Spirit will use those groanings. It'll be something that you could not understand, but the Father understands. You know why? Look at this. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. What's the he? I think it's God. God knows us. He made us. He searches our hearts. He knows everything in it. And you know what else? He knows the mind of the Spirit because He is the Spirit. And so it only makes sense that because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, it will be according to the will of God. And I cannot thank God enough for the times that He has stepped in and been my advocate to my Father when I wasn't sure what to pray. And I know there, there's some of you in this room that have been so kind and gracious. You've come to me and you, and, and you mean it. It's honoring. You've come and you've said, hey, Pastor David, I, I just know your prayers get there. And I feel like my prayers are getting to the ceiling. Or I, I just feel like that, you know, my prayers aren't as powerful as you got a direct line. I love it when that, you know, you got a direct line. Can I tell you, because of the Holy Spirit, all of your prayers get there. And we ought to thank him right now that the Holy Spirit is helping us. So that gives me the encouragement <clears throat> that as I'm praying, I don't have to get the right phrase. See, people are afraid to pray because they're afraid to speak. Public speaking is a nightmare. And if you're not a public speaker, if you get called on to pray in a room, you will freak out. Am I right? Because you know what? You're more worried about the people in the room than you are the one you're talking to. I want to tell you something. I've had people actually tell me, if you can't pray out loud, you're not a Christian. Are you kidding me? Where in the world did you get that? That is not from this book. It is not from God's Word. It is simply somebody's crazy and wrong opinion. There's so many times I don't want to pray out loud. But here's the beautiful thing about it. You know why God listens to you? He doesn't listen to you because you use cool phrases. He doesn't listen to you because you know those little key phrases and words. You know, you got to use big words with God. Let me tell you, you can use all the big words you want. It doesn't impress the Father. The only thing that impresses God is His Son. And so quit trying to impress Him. And rely on the Holy Spirit when you pray to just say, God, I just, I don't know for sure. But I think this is what I need to say and how I need to say it. Just be honest with him. And if you don't do it out loud, it's okay too. Sometimes I pray out loud driving along. Sometimes I pray out loud in private. Sometimes I pray quietly. I, some of you guys have noticed I've started praying with my eyes open. There's nothing in the Scripture that says we've got to close our eyes. Not one place. You know where we learned that? In Baptist Sunday School. That's where that came from. <laughs> and it has become the law now. Close your eyes. You know why I want to have my eyes open? Because I want to just see him. Because when I look at this room and I see you, I see him. I think he's here. And so it, any way you do it, just remember the Holy Spirit's there to help you. And he makes sure that what you're, what's on your heart, the Father is going to understand. I just thank God for the Holy Spirit and how he is there for us, right? So the last area... And this was a big one. How do I know it's the Spirit? And I would finish that and not lasagna I had last night. Uh, it, it's very difficult sometimes. How do I know it's the Spirit? 
And the reason so many of you ask that question is because (laughs) there's another spirit at work in this world. We are in the last days. And starting next week, I want to talk about, what's the name of the series? Living with the end in mind? Yeah, I just call it last days, but living with the end in mind. In other words, I want to start next weekend and walk through what the Bible says about these last days. We're in them. And one of the things I know is that there is a deceiver among us. And he wants you to think it's the Lord when it's not. And he'll use people that you have a lot of confidence in. He'll use people you trust. And, and he will make you think. Now remember, he's called the angel of light. What that means is he appears to be light, but there's really darkness. He's the accuser of the brethren. I'm telling you, he has one goal, and that is to stand against Jesus and to oppose the work of Jesus in your life and in my life, and he'll do it whatever way he can do it. So I believe that question is probably one of the most important questions, and here is a good, simple answer to how do I know it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus, not you. He will always glorify Jesus, not a teacher. He will always glorify Jesus, not a person. Now, that's just a simple answer, but let me take you to a place in Scripture. If you got a Bible, go to 1 John chapter 4, and I'll start reading in verse 1. Now, this is the same gospel writer, John the Apostle. He's writing these letters to the church. He's old now, and, and it's much later. And the church is being infiltrated with people that are not representing the Holy Spirit. They're representing another spirit. And so he's trying to help them to know what to do. And I want you to follow along as I read, because this is very important. Chapter 4, 1 John, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, let me just stop there. Some people even think the word spirit you could use the word prophet or someone who speaks. Let's put it into our language. Do not believe everything you hear on the internet. Do not believe everything you hear on the news or everything you read in a book or everything you hear in a podcast. These are people who are, again, they believe they are teaching truth, but perhaps the deceiver is involved. So he's just saying, I'm warning you. You got to make sure it's the Holy Spirit. So how do you do that? Well, look at the next part of this. He says, by this, you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. By the way, confess Jesus means agree with Jesus. You follow me? If they agree with Jesus and confess him, it's the Holy Spirit. But if not, there's no way it's the Holy Spirit. Why? The number one thing the Holy Spirit does is glorify Jesus. 
And so it's a very simple test. And then he goes on to say, he said, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So wait a minute. You mean that Antichrist, that, that, that shadowy figure that's going to reveal himself one day and oppose Christ and lead astray so many people is already here? We don't know. But we know the spirit of that Antichrist is here. And the spirit of that Antichrist, again, is to destroy the works of Jesus. Is to destroy the works of Jesus in you. To get you to give up on Christ. And so whatever he can do to pull you away from Jesus, that's what he'll do. Now, this group that he's writing to, he's not writing to the world out there. This is in the church. These people are not people out in the marketplace and at work, and they're the, the ones who are blaspheming. No, no. These are people inside the body of Christ. That's why he said they have gone out from us. And the reason that it's so easy to be misled is because you think, well, wait a minute, they're in my church. Well, wait a minute, they, they read the same kind of Bible I do. Well, wait a minute, they're a Baptist. That's when you need to really be suspicious. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, they're this or they're that. It doesn't matter. Again, the deceiver is not going to come at you with a pitchfork and horns. He will come at you as an angel of light, and he will speak through people that you cannot believe that he would speak through. And so what do we do? Number one, make sure it is the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Ask the question, does this line up with Jesus? Does this glorify Jesus? And you say, well, okay, well, what do you mean? Okay, what did Jesus teach? You know the Sermon on the Mount. Does this teaching line up with the Sermon on the Mount? In other words, is it consistent? Well, if it isn't, it isn't the Holy Spirit. You know how Jesus lived. He was a servant. He was kind. He was loving. Is that Spirit telling you to do that? Remember, Jesus is the guide. And we know what Jesus taught. I mean, I've had people say, well, I don't, I don't know. How do I compare it? Well, I'll tell you, you got 66 books right here you can compare it to. And you can find in here clearly in the Gospels the teachings of Jesus. And if it doesn't line up, I'm promising you, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, it is a freaking duck. So quit believing everything you hear. Don't believe it. Test it. And I'm saying every speaker, test it. Everything I teach, everything that is taught up here, test it. And just say, okay, is this honoring Jesus? And is this what Jesus would say? And is it what Jesus would do? And you have help to do that. Number one, you have the Bible. Number two, you have that spirit in you. He's in you. And I don't know if you want to position it. You know, we always talk about that little voice on one side and another voice on the other side. I just think the Holy Spirit, he's not on your shoulder. He's in your heart. I mean, he's right in the middle and he's probably knocking on the door. Or he's tugging at you going, nah, that's not the truth. Listen to that. Another thing, listen to godly counsel. Get some good Christian friends who, who you, can, you can really trust and believe. And I mean, if you don't know any, just go to the internet. Go to Google. That'll prove right? We can trust Google, right? Everything is true. Wikipedia, I mean, come on, everything. Guys, we live in a world, I hate to tell you this, 
I don't trust anybody. I'm just telling you. I'll hear things and I'll go, I'm not sure. I've said things I don't trust. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not sure about that. I just think the last days is going to create more of that. And it's going to be very important that we get anchored in the Word of God. We get anchored living by the Spirit, not the flesh. And we know the difference between the enemy deceiving us and the Holy Spirit blessing us. And it can happen to us. So you just say, okay, Lord, is this what you want? And then, by the way, I think sometimes circumstances, God uses them to confirm. But all of that is to help you make sure it is the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, the final proof is this. What does he say about Jesus? What, how does this represent Jesus? Is this what Jesus would teach you to do? Is this what Jesus taught you to do? All of that brings us back to this one affirmation. And Jesus said it. When he talked about the Holy Spirit, you know what he said? He said, this is what the Holy Spirit will do for you. He will... Let's go to, I'm sorry, go to uh, John's gospel. The reference out of John. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, that's Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. There you go. First thing that he's supposed to do. And he's going to take what is mine and declare it to you. Believe me, the Holy Spirit in you right now is wanting to tell you, show you, remind you what Jesus said. And what Jesus wants. And so for me today, what better way to honor the Lord, the Lord himself and Jesus himself than to honor through the Lord's Supper? Because there is no greater way to exalt and glorify Jesus than to remember what he did. And I want to tell you something I believe about communion. There is evidence in the New Testament that when the church gathered to remember Jesus with the bread and the cup, there was a profound presence of the Holy Spirit. There was an intense presence of the Holy Spirit. There was a greater intensity to that presence. Here's why. It's the only place, there are only two places in Scripture where God judged somebody immediately. In other words, Boom, they did something and immediately, and it was in the context of worship. One was in Acts 5 when a couple came and lied about what they were giving. But the other was when they got together around the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that the Lord told them, hey, this is the reason some of you have gotten sick. It's the reason even some have died. It's because when you come together to honor me, you're not honoring me. So I began to think and wonder, is it possible that when we come to the bread and we come to the juice, the presence of God is more profound? Yes. The Holy Spirit is doing something in that moment even bigger than anything else we've done. Yes. And today, we will hold the bread and we will hold the cup. And the Holy Spirit will be here and move among us. Because if his main purpose is to glorify Jesus, what greater way 
than to say, Jesus, thank you. We remember your death and we celebrate and honor it. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.